Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the early Christian movement. Today, we are with Michael, our resident ephesiologist, Andrew Johnson, associate pastor at Newtown Church in Houston, Texas, and I'm Matt Till, lead pastor of Restoration Church in the Chicago suburbs. Hey, guys, uh, we are back at it again today, and Andrew, I think, is ripped, ready. He's got, he just said, like, I got thoughts. We got to go. So, Andrew? Good. Andrew, give us your thoughts. On the last episode, we were, we were beginning to really, I feel, just scratch the surface. Um, scratching the surface on how does not just our theology impact our ecclesiology, so how does our understanding of who God is and what he has done inform uh, what we do as church, but our desire then, uh, when we... I guess, perform the outworking of the church when we do church. And I don't mean just uh, in a building kind of context, but when we do what we do as a body of believers to pursue both the worship of God and pursue others so that they can become worshipers of God. Um, when we do that, then what does that look like? And, you know, I brought up the kind of the, the satellite campuses, uh, the, um, the video venues, um, even an online church component. Matt brought up kind of what he is doing to pursue um, church in his context in a way that might look different than some of us who are in more of the, the pure, normal, traditional church building on a Sunday. Normal. Yeah, that was going to say, is that normal? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, and if you were listening in the last episode, you understood that I stated that we do a lot of things that are just more contextual and cultural and because we do it culturally, we think it's normal. So some of my thoughts then as we were interacting is uh, what are we leaving on the table when we pursue some of these different methods? Like um, the three of us have, have toyed with this idea of an ephesiology lab. Uh, we brought up the idea of going to kind of the bigger cities, working with some churches there and saying, okay, so what might be the most effective way to reach the most people for the gospel in this context? What does R&D look like? How do, we, how do we get in there and say, okay, what works best for this context? So, so Matt, for you as an example, who are, you're blazing a new trail. You're trying a different method that isn't right now the cultural norm. That's what I meant by normal. So no sass. Um, what do you see? As, I love you. That's yeah. why I sass you. Oh, I sass you very much too. Um, what do you feel in your context do you see as a major benefit to some of the things that you all are experimenting with? And what do you feel you are, uh, I would say, leaving on the table? like you have almost some concerns or we haven't figured this out yet because we haven't figured this out yet. Specific to um, the model that we're currently working on. With the model that you are working on and your theology that yeah. has informed your ecclesiology mm -hmm. now leading to what you're doing, what do you feel you're not yet doing that you would like to be doing or see the church doing? Yeah, that, that's a good question. And I, um, we're processing through these things uh, pretty regularly and ongoing. So this will not be an exhaustive list, I think. 
Um, but here's some of the things that come to mind. And just as again, as, as one last recap, what we are doing in our context is uh, pre-recording uh, the sermon, the teaching, uh, the exhortation from the word, and we are, uh, which which I do uh, predominantly as the primary lead pastor and solo pastor at this point. Um, and pre-recording that up to a week in advance to which our church then watches, engages with, uh, sometimes on multiple basis uh, throughout the week, uh, takes notes on, and then we come together in a house church model to which we then are in discussion over that along with other, doing other ecclesiastical process, you know, practices such as communion, right? And prayer together and worship. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so here, here's what I feel like we are gaining. And where the conviction for this really came out of is this looking at this discussion and talking about what is a disciple of Jesus Christ. Hmm. And uh, even looking at the practicalities of every pastor who's listening to this knows this for certain. They've read the data, they've heard it. Um, and anyone who's been a professor or a lecturer um, in, in the college or collegiate um, or even high school teachers know this for certain now, the studies have been out, that any, that one-way communication of a lecture format, uh, at best, uh, anyone is retaining 5 to 10% of that information, okay? And that is even for your typical pastor who just preaches a sermon on a regular basis, uh, your congregation is retaining on average 5 to 10% of that knowledge. Um, and there are other ways in which you can increase the ability for somebody, so, such as encouraging people to take notes, or helping them take notes, which is which is why pastors in, introduced the sermon slides, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago is because, hey, we realized if we put slides up and people actually take notes on it with underlined blanks or in the bulletin, we're going to help retain knowledge. So now knowledge also goes up maybe about 15 to 20%, right? Uh, and if they go back and re- re-look at those notes again, maybe we can get another 5 to 10% out of the ability for people to retain that information and to apply it. Well, what they found is that even in higher education is that, um, in, and I teach adjunct in higher education, is that there's this, been this move for years of flipping the classroom. Mm. And to flip the classroom is, here, let's give you the material, such as on video or a book to read, um, a podcast to listen to, right? Listen to it, engage with it, maybe take a few notes with it, and then come back to the classroom with the practitioner who then now facilitates the conversation to allow the students to ask further questions, to dialogue, to engage, maybe even ask the student to teach the material as well. Learning is in the 50 percentile and higher in that regard. Well, I was asking the question, looking at scripture by going, what is a disciple? Who is a disciple? What does a disciple do, right? If we're to be making disciples, um, James K.A. Smith in his book, um, uh, You Are What You Love, uh, said, listen, we are not thinking things on sticks. So often we mm-hmm. in, 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 the, in the modern day have just said we're preaching to the mind and that eventually is the pathway to the heart. Now, I don't disagree with that statement. However, we're not just thinking things on sticks. We actually are people who need to do outworking practices of things, right? And so we need to find meaning in other things and we need to like practice these things. And we see a disciple, there are many components to the disciple. The disciple does not just retain information and regurgitate it. The disciple is active. Uh, they bring their, their spiritual gifts to the table in which they're to, to be used, right, for God's glory and for the benefit of everyone else. I'm reading scripture and looking at the early New Testament church in Ephesus, and we see how the 
early New Testament, we've got the people of God, the church is, is coming together as one. Uh, the leaders are serving one another and, and, um, and using their gifts for the glory of God. But when, in our traditional legacy models, uh, we only have the benefit of about four gifts being used on every Sunday morning at mm-hmm. its premium the pastor, the worship pastor or worship music leader, um, maybe somebody who's going to lead us in a prayer and maybe somebody who's going to lead us in communion. And, and that's it. Those are the gifts that are being used on a regular basis. And, and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not content with this because less than 1% of the church now, it gets to utilize the full expression of their gift while the rest of them sit there and try to figure out how to use it in other ways, right? During and the service. During the service, exactly. And, and in the context of the church. And so for us, we're like... I, like we need to figure this out. And so this was kind of our mode of innovation. Plus with us being a very, a small church community and, and finding some, some beauty in the, in the house church and in the, um, in the small context community environment, we thought, man, this is the only way we can, we could do this. We can make this work. And so for us, we're gaining discipleship. I mean, we're, we're gaining uh, not just knowledge, but now we're seeing the practical outworking of it. People are coming to the table and I have other people who lead the, the Sunday time together. I'm there. We participate in it. But new questions come up. New discussions go up places that I conversations happen. Uh, illustrations come to the table and, and personal life application that I never would have thought of sitting in my study preparing the sermon. Um, and people get to bring that to the table and we all benefit from it. I had an experience uh, last year where uh, something I had said in one of my videos uh, kind of fell short of the fullness of the, of the gospel. And I had somebody uh, call me out on it in our group meeting going, Matt, you did not go where you needed to go. And, mm. and she just like went on for like about a you know, 30 second tirade. Uh, and and I, I'm, I'm saying this a little bit in jest, but like seriously, she had some energy on it. And I looked at her and I said, you are 100 percent correct yeah and i love that matt I, i'm sorry just to interrupt just yeah. a second i mean how many people are going to do that sitting in a congregation of 100 200 300 people nobody's going to stand up and challenge anything the pastor <laughs> well, says well no and actually we have systems in place to make sure that doesn't happen right um and 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 you know in, in, a, in a group of 100 people like rightfully so like i mean at what point does it become chaos you know what i mean but in this environment i was able to just simply go yeah you're totally right and a hunt and amen to that. And, um, and, and then I turned to the group and I said, see, this is actually the beauty of this is that this would have been a conversation between her and I that would have happened offline and it probably wouldn't have ended up back in your here. And now we all get to benefit from this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I learned something that day as well too. So those are some of the things that we've gained, um, is I feel like we're gaining this authentic discipleship and, um, it's reframing and retraining a lot of people. Um, and then what we're losing, I think what we're leaving on the table is, um, man, how do we do real evangelism that, uh, or something that we need to grow in is how do we do real authentic evangelism and how do we really share our faith without it just becoming, cause now we've taken away like the, Hey, come to my church to this program, come to this event that we have, cause we don't have events. <laughs> it's just not, it just doesn't make sense. Or there's a barrier now to the, the cultural norm. We are. You know, I was just listening to a, a TED talk recently, but just reminding us again of how isolated and lonely we are as a culture and how, um, you know, we don't do fellowship in homes like we used to. Uh, the, our Western culture does not do fellowship in homes like an Eastern culture might naturally do or do community. Um, we're not as tied to family. We're not as tied to uh, one another's. And so to invite somebody into your home, 
usually uh, th- there's a barrier there that's a bit natural. Now, most Christians would be like, oh, are you kidding me? Well, hospitality. The Bible says we would be hospi- hospitable. And so we open up our homes and we do that. And it's like, yes, amen. But your neighbor doesn't always think that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the home is where we retreat to, um, to get away from the culture. And so uh, we have some barriers and we have some things that we, that we realize that we're going to have to engage with and figure out. Um, and, and I think we're, we're gaining in some key areas and maybe weak in some other areas. And so we need to figure that out together. And, and that's a, a critical point for you all and for the church in general is trying to figure out, well, how do we reproduce this? How do we reproduce ourselves and multiply ourselves so that more and more people um, are coming to worship God? I really appreciate that refocus then. Again, the, the, the goal is his glory. It's uniting all things under his will. And yeah. if we lose sight of that, then we ask just, can we do church? Um, or uh, if we're able to pull off a service, we did it, you know, pat on the back. We started it. We ended it. That felt good. We had some great interactions. It's cool. Did God get the glory? Um, were we, were we seeking to unite all things under him as he has done in Christ? Were we magnifying his name? Sometimes we ask maybe poor questions. Um, since I brought it up, Michael, I think it would only be fair then to send it your way, uh, in your church context where you are in insert place. Um, <laughs> what do you, an underground bunker in Utah? Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> um, Hey, we're not talking about States. Um, so, um, what do you feel that your present church context uh, offers, and how does that outworking of the ecclesiology uh, really honor what we see in our theology? And what do you feel it leaves on the table? Yeah, I, that's a great question, um, and I do want to address that. It, but I do want to just just for a brief but moment, not yet. but not yet, just for a brief moment, go back to what Matt was saying because I think. You know, we love what we're seeing around the world with the house church movement, um, and it's just multiplying like rabbits. The danger, I think, in our context as we're trying to figure out, you know, can that happen here, is is uh, replicating what we see the, the legacy church doing uh, into the house church. Um, because we don't want to make a lot of little legacy churches. We, yeah. we want to see these house churches multiply and reproduce. Um, and and Michael, that's the challenge we're facing. Yeah. And on the inverse as well, and this is a question I posed to us um, offline uh, recently was, and, and can we truly make one-to-one comparisons to the house church model overseas into the Western context as well is something that I've been asking and questioning a little bit. And not that I have all these doubts, but at just kind of going, can we make the same one-to-one comparisons or not? Which is why I think this is the, these discussions are so helpful for us. And yeah, why we and need that's, to test it. Right, exactly. Uh, the, we need to have a place where we can incubate ideas and experiment with methods, right? Yeah. Uh, this laboratory. A, labor, a laboratory. A laboratory. Oh, well, that's a great <laughs> idea, Matt. Glad you thought of that. Um, it was a joint it, effort. Yeah. So, so the... So we're trying to figure out, is there this one-to-one? Um, and I think that's a very important point that you bring up, Matt. And that's why we're going to ephesiology. That's why we're taking the time yeah. to unpack what we see in the movement in the New Testament and trying to develop a theology of movement so that we have something that we can latch onto and say, okay, 
here is why we're doing this. This is the foundation of it. Now let's work out the principles and see what it will look like in our particular contexts. So what we don't want to do at this moment is uh, put forward a particular method or model, even though we're seeing the outworking of what we're doing, like what you're doing, Matt, there as a model. Now the question is, um, is it replicable? And, and, uh, and even in our context, in our church context, uh, that's a more uh, the traditional church or legacy church, we're beginning to think and am uh, very excited with the leadership of our church who is willing to take a risky step and say, okay, let's see what this looks like in practice in our context. And let's see if we can actually multiply disciples uh, in our area and, um, and, and try to figure out what this is going to look like. And I, and, um, and I think by doing that, if, if we're mindful of what's going on in the new Testament and how that movement replicated and apply some of those principles to what we're trying to do here, then to be honest, Andrew, I, I don't know that ultimately we leave anything on the table and I think all we see is benefit uh, in this. And uh, but but at the same time, to get to that place is, and this is funny to say, it's going to take a courageous step on our part. And um, and I'm excited about what our church is thinking about and the willingness to take that courageous step. But at the end of the day. Um, I, I mean, if if we become convinced that this is what the New Testament movement looked like, and uh, and that we see some of the principles there, and we begin to apply those, then all that we're doing, I think, and you guys help me if I'm not thinking about this properly, all we're doing is simply taking a step of faith on what it is that we see God doing. And, uh, and trying to be faithful to do that as well. And yes, it takes courage. But when you think about it, I mean, if this is what God was doing and somehow the Holy Spirit wants to see that continue, then it doesn't really take courage on our part. It, it takes more of uh, faithfulness to right. do that. Right. But then, I mean, then the courageous thing is like what you were indicating, I think, on the previous podcast is there's a risk. There is a risk. Um, But without taking that risk, we're not going to see the reward. And if the reward is seeing the Holy Spirit move as he did in the New Testament, then boy, that's a reward worth taking a risk. Hmm. You know, I would say the the courageous piece of that is very important um, and one that I constantly need to uh, be reminded of. And as excited as I get about our courageous steps and our, you know, our innovation, um, there's still a reality on the back end of this that uh, I'm, a, I'm just one man with uh, a wife and three children and uh, serving a community um, that wishes to do that well and faithfully. Um, but knows that uh, we live for the glory of God and seek to be a part of his mission and not our own. And um, that, that there's a tension there that exists. And uh, the times that I have wanted to run from this um, are immense. Um, 
because I, I seek the, you know, to be courageous means you got to be out on the front lines. To be courageous is that we take risks. And uh, it just it's, it, just admitting to that, like that's that's difficult. And I, re- and I recognize that there are many church leaders, church members, um, Christian leaders who are listening to this by either agreeing with me, agreeing with us, or in, and even have that, that fear and trepidation in them that says, man, what that might cost us, what that might cost me, what that might cost uh, the, this church and this community um, uh, could be immense, uh, depending upon where you're at and, and what you feel like the Lord is stirring up within you. Yeah. But if I could just encourage any of them, what the Holy Spirit speaks to you and as the God and as God is leading you, is there any other, do you have any other choice? <laughs> mm. you, you know, I a hundred percent get that. I, and I, you know, I've had the privilege to talk with uh, pastors and church leaders all around the country and all around the world, really. Uh, but it's interesting. It's primarily in the United States context where I'm hearing these same things articulated, mm. you know, it, this courage thing, I mean, that's the risk thing uh, it can't have consequences for my well-being, my family's well-being, uh, the, the, the ministry's well-being, and, and so on. Um, and, and I get that. I Honestly, I get that. Um, it, it, but then I take a step back and I ask myself the question, can I imagine Paul or Timothy or, you know, any of these guys having that conversation among themselves. Well, you know, this is going to be a risk to do this. You know what I mean? And then it becomes, um, I don't know. I I just think that um, they were so God focused that it didn't matter. The risk, the courage that it took, it it just did not matter because they knew that they were taking steps in obedience and Mm. empowered by the Holy spirit to follow what it was that Jesus modeled while he was on this earth. And whether it was successful or whether it failed did not matter as long as they were faithful to uh, following what it was that God was directing them to do. And certainly they met occasions of failure and that failure often resulted in uh, persecution. And yet God still used that persecution to uh, birth uh, movements all around the Roman Empire. And that, that really is amazing. This coming Sunday, um, our church is preaching a series called Verses for Life. Um, kind of where do we see certain verses in Scripture that can actually help us live day to day as God's wanting us to. And so we feel mm-hmm. alive, we feel connected to Him. And so this coming Sunday, I'm, uh, I'll be doing Joshua 1, 5, tied in with Hebrews 13, 5, and 6, where uh, kind of along the lines of God is for me, who can be against me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the nearness of God. Um, if God is near, why, why fear? Why do we run to fear? And uh, so as we're talking about this courageous thing, something that uh, popped into my mind earlier while planning the sermon is sometimes our, the size of our God then determines uh, how we live out. So do we believe God is so small and unable to help us in these things? Do we feel it is our effort or our uh, undertaking as we pursue his glory in the church? It's on our shoulders. Or is God so big, so vast, so powerful and amazing um, that that courageous step, like you're talking about, Michael, you say, well, well, why wouldn't you? Like he, He's going to lead. He is going to prop up. He is going to strengthen. He is going to encourage. He 
is going to to blaze that trail we are merely walking in his path and we are seeking his glory if god is so wonderful what's there to fear it feels really really nice to quote these verses mm. uh, and then comes the outworking of it that is slightly terrifying but man if god really is as good and near and as powerful as he is what is keeping us from it yeah you know i i believe that and I, and that's what matt was getting to as well is what, what what is there to lose you know whatever it is that we're doing today in the context of the western church doesn't really seem to be having the impact and we've we've been talking about this uh throughout the podcasts about the declining numbers of uh the population of Christians in in the United States, but really around the world, we we see Christianity shrinking while other faiths are growing, and uh, and there's a real concern that we have. And we offline we're talking about a recent study done by the Exponential folks in in partnership with uh, Lifeway, I think it is. And and the numbers really are staggering. Uh, they interviewed a thousand Protestant churches across the United States, and what they found was that thirty five percent of those churches are actually losing numbers. Thirty five percent of them are plateaued, and another thirty percent are just adding numbers. And when you add those numbers up, that I mean that's a that's a hundred percent. Um, and, and so there's some variance there. I think it might be 34 point something, you know, because they then go on and say that only 7% of those thousand churches are actually reproducing and 0% of them are multiplying. And, and, uh, what I find staggering though, is, I mean, just those numbers, the numbers of churches that just simply are not moving the needle of Christianity in this country. And, um, and we can't be content with that. And if that means that we need to exhibit a little bit more courage, like what we've been talking about and, and take a risk, then that question is valid, Matt. What what do we have to lose? What are we going to lose? We're already losing. So whatever it is that we're doing, it's not working. What was the number? Yeah. What was the worst? Uh, what, um, what was the number again for those who are just adding versus multiplying? 30%. 38% are 30% are adding 30% are adding and then zero are actually multiplying. Right. 7% are reproducing 7% are reproducing. Okay. So, um, yeah. So, and I, and I think when we think about, and maybe could you just define what, what the difference between adding, reproducing, and multiplying is just for yeah, our so, listeners? Sure. Adding is just simply, you know, you're, you're increasing your numbers that are coming to uh, the, your weekly event, uh, to, you know, just by simply adding. There are, there are uh, uh, people that are coming, but uh, th- those people are not reproducing. And so the reproducing part is that you have, you have numbers of people in your church that are actually uh, either bringing more people or uh, the more evangelisms going on so that the numbers are growing a little bit more exponentially and multiplying is focusing on that. They're actually uh, the churches that are starting more churches. And so the multiplication continues. Uh, so we're talking from like level one is just uh, an organization, a church that is adding numbers that would just be adding. So it's just, it's, it's a one-to-one relationship. Right. And then you yeah, get that would to, be level three in the exponential study. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, three. sure. 
Yeah. And then you get to the next place where all of a sudden it's now a reproducing is a disciple in your church makes another disciple outside of the context of the church who then is uh, now we're we're multiplying people. Right. Is that right. kind of what they're going after? It's going from not, not yet a Christian to a Christian. Right. That's the major difference between adding and reproducing right. is church stealing, you know, sheep stealing. Well, and so that's part of the reality. And actually, I'd be curious to look into the study more myself. Uh, and and maybe uh, I don't know if it was addressed, Michael, but um, just of those of those like declining, how many of those declining are showing up in the adding churches? You know what I mean? And I think what we realize that some other studies that have been done is the piece of the pie is is shrinking. So uh, what we're finding is that when you look at the whole study of everybody based on belief system. Um, the Christian pie just continues to shrink year over year. And uh, these studies then are being done within the context of a shrinking portion of the pie. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what it appears to be. And, and therefore there's no additional gains outside of the larger piece of the pie. So we're talking about these percentages, but we're still looking at a, a slice of the pie. That is, I think the last study I looked at was anywhere from 30 to 29% of the overall population. Mm-hmm. So if that's losing out, somewhere in that and depending upon what that looks like i guess but wherever that looks like if that part of the pie is shrinking then we're not the 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 thinking is for us as as faithful followers of christ who are who are seeking to restore all things to the glory of god uh we we need to look at the whole piece of the pie right and uh, we need to be looking at the entirety of all of god's creation and uh, those who live within it and so for us we're looking at going man, these numbers are like nothing compared to those who are out there who are, um, do not know the Lord and are not restored into his, uh, in, in his, into community with him. Right. Yeah, yeah you're exactly right. And uh, I was in a conversation uh, a bit earlier with some church leaders in our area where, and even uh, the other day, where we're beginning to recognize that there are increasing numbers moving into what what had been a predominantly Christian county that are no longer engaged uh, in a church at all. I think the number is around 125,000 just within our our area. Mm. And and now we're thinking, you know, we don't we don't want to just shift population. Um, mm. Christian population, you know, we don't want to take from the church down the road and, and try to attract them to our model. We want to go out and get these 125,000 that are no longer connected to any church. And uh, many of them have left uh, not just the church, but the faith uh, altogether. And so let's engage those that really need to hear about the Lord and, and uh, not be as concerned about shifting those populations. So maybe we should just spend the last uh, couple of minutes here uh, on this episode and in this conversation, um, dreaming a little bit about what our hopes are for mm-hmm. ephesiology. Like, you know, we're having these conversations, we're engaging in this dialogue, we're researching, we're testing, we're, tr- we're trying, we're, we're conversing with others, the people who are listening and engaging with us um, offline here. Um, what is our dream for, for us? What is our dream for them? What is our dream for the broader Christian community and what we hope that this will contribute to one day? Yeah, I think, Matt, I love that question. And it's always fun to dream. And I think that's what we've been doing for the past several weeks on this podcast is, is dreaming about this New Testament movement and really trying to unpack that. And what I love now that we're doing is that uh, we're beginning to step into this 
more practical. What what is this going to look like? And and we're seeing some models like what you're doing in the Chicago area, what we're doing in our area, what Andrew's doing down in uh, hot and humid uh, Houston, um, and 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 playing with the ideas uh, and seeing you know what's going to stick. And so if I I were to dream, I would say um, let's apply a spaghetti approach to this. Do you know what I mean by that? See what sticks to the wall. See what sticks to the wall. Let's take the noodles. We've cooked them. We've been incubating these ideas. We've been studying the New Testament and and what we see as a theology of a movement emerging out of our study of the church in Ephesus. And let's take these noodles, throw them on the wall and and see what stick. Um, Because the it seems like the reality is um, what we have been doing doesn't seem to be making gains. And so we don't really know what we should be doing, although we have some ideas that we've been batting around uh, with each other and, and uh, with those that we've been engaging with. And so let's see what's going to stick and, uh, and, you know, take those risks um, in order to hopefully see uh, the reward on down the road. Hmm. How about you, Andrew? Well, I mean, the the softball answer seems to be, you know, what's the dream? Oh, you know, just disciples making disciples that make disciples, churches birthing out of that, churches making churches, multiplying everywhere, cities becoming overrun with Christians, uh, evil being vacated, Christ returning, <laughs> Jesus ideas. coming back. Which is what we want shooting for. Um, But I'm not being too sassy when I say it because it's the ideal that drives me forward. Mm -hmm. Ideal of actually seeing people who come from death to life and then seeking that life for others. That is the ideal. I I, I want to see that desperately in my church. Uh, I sat down with my uh, friend and boss yesterday. And I just kind of was like, he's like, you know, what's on your mind? I was like, it's this, it's people in our church coming to truly be captured uh, with a white hot faith in Jesus and wanting other people to know him. And so doing what they can to help their friends know him, not just bringing them on Sunday morning. So I can tell them about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my ideal. And so as we're, we're really looking back at Ephesians and engaging with these ideas and ephesiology is that I want to see it happen. I don't want to just hear stories about it happening uh, on the far-flung spots of Europe and Asia. Um, I want to be able to say Christ is moving in a massive, tangible, observable way here in Houston, Texas, and I got to be witness to it. I got to be a part of it. I got to actually play my role and use my gifts to his glory for the end of a massive number of people uh, worshiping him and helping other people worship him. This, mm. That's, it's my ideal. Mm. Yeah. And I think, I, I think for us, as we're having these conversations about ephesiology, I mean, I still very much feel like we're at the beginning. Um, and we certainly are in our conver- in our discussions about, what exactly is ephesiology? So I'm looking forward over the next couple of weeks to talking about what does it mean to ground such a movement? I mean, what, is, what are the, the, the theological underpinnings that we want to be sure that folks are grasping 
so that when they understand these things, it compels them to move forward in a missiologically theocentric uh, manner. And then we eventually we're going to talk about uh, what does it take to lead such a movement. And uh, thankfully, I, it, we see that, you, you know, Paul and the, the, the 23 other people that are named who were associates of his in Asia Minor give us a wonderful model of what, what it actually takes to lead that kind of movement. Mm. And then, in, of course, in his writing to Timothy, he outlines what it's going to take to see that movement multiply. And so we want to unpack those things as well. But it's not just the, you know, the grounding, the leading, the multiplying. We want to be sure that, that we understand what it takes to sustain this movement and, uh, or, or what it took to sustain the movement in the New Testament and what principles then are we able to apply in our own um, ministries. Mm. That's good stuff, guys. So, so a lot to come, a lot to come. And I'm excited <laughs> about engaging these things with you guys and uh, interacting with the folks that are uh, listening to us in our podcast and, and connecting with us on Facebook and through our website. I love it. Yeah. And I echo all that you guys have said. And Michael, look forward to us continuing those kind of conversations that you were just alluding to that we'll be having uh, in the coming weeks and months here. And uh, just even as a call to our listeners, we uh, invite you to continue uh, this conversation with us uh, by joining us and doing theology and community with us. And so the places and ways you can do that is, of course, online on our website at ephesiology.com. There you get exclusive content, um, access to discussion boards, early access to the podcast, as well as uh, engaging with uh, some of our laboratory ideas and for you to be a part of the laboratory as well. So we invite you to check us out online at ephesiology.com and also be sure to like and engage with us on our Facebook page, Ephesiology, and subscribe to the Ephesiology podcast if you have not done so already on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, however you get your podcasts. And be sure, if you are subscribed, rate it and leave a favorable review because that for us is the way for us to, so that we can uh, uh, get more people to listen to this and engage with this content as well. So for Michael, Andrew, and myself, we will catch you on the next time of our discussions together.